welcome to the Sea Trade Maritime podcast. You are listening to Gary Howard, Europe editor, Sea Trade Maritime News, and today I'm in conversation with Christian Roloffs, founder and CEO at container logistics platform Container Exchange, in his first ever podcast appearance. Christian and I talk about the technology at play in container operations, the huge efficiency and time gains on offer from upgrading that technology, and a little about the importance of data sharing and the willingness of stakeholders to share that digital gold. As ever, I started by asking Christian to introduce himself and tell us a little about Container Exchange. My name is Christian. I'm co-founder and CEO of Container Exchange. We're a uh, logistics technology company based in Hamburg, Germany, and we have a mission to simplify the logistics of global trade. And we do that by building a, an infrastructure to enable container users and owners to collaborate more efficiently. Now, some of our listeners are probably just familiar with containers from the time they arrive at a port. You know, they, they go to a different port at the other end and then they're gone. But that's one piece of a, a much larger chain and a much larger puzzle. Could you explain what is meant by sort of container operations as a whole? Absolutely. So for us, container operations is really everything a freight forwarder has to do in order to get the container from A to B. So, of course, it involves placing the booking with a carrier or with a slot operator. It involves adding transportation services, be it trucking or other intermodal uh, connections. It involves making sure that the container in the depot is actually ready for pickup, uh, picking up the container, making sure that I have container number that I can then pair with uh, my booking number. And then, of course, sort of following the container through its life cycle within the logistics value chain up to the return of the container, uh, making sure that the container is actually returned in the right location, in the right depot, on time, and ideally undamaged, or if it's damaged, making sure that the damage claim is checked, disputed if necessary, a resolution is found, etc., etc. So it's really all the activities, all the processes that happen around the container that normally a shipper or um, even an end customer doesn't have really have any idea about. And that's what we, what we mean by container operations. So lots of parties at play in that, lots of interactions and opportunities for things to go wrong. But let's, uh, let's focus in on the technologies. What sort of technologies are used in container sourcing? What are the processes involved in that and the sort of challenges in that area? I would propose to take sourcing, uh, to, to take that in a little bit of a wider context and look at what the freight forwarder not only has to do to find the container, um, which originally is sourcing, but then also the entire container operations part. Absolutely, yeah. And what you mentioned is is, is right. It's, um, it's lots of processes, it's lots of stakeholders, um, and lots of complexity. And the interesting part here is that almost every step in this, in this value chain is manual and currently run through, let's call it not very sophisticated technology, um, be it email, be it WhatsApp, be it WeChat, be it telephone calls, and very, very limited coverage through systems integrations and actually computers talking to each other, so to speak. And the result of that is, of course, whenever things go wrong, and a lot of things can go wrong in this very manual process, these errors and issues and problems also have to be fixed manually. And when we talk to our customers, for example, the freight forwarders or NVOCCs, Fixing problems manually is what they do with about 80% of their time. That's why they can't really take holidays, why they, uh, why they have to answer emails on the weekend, etc. Because at some point, somewhere in the world, something goes wrong with a container that's currently under my control. And then I have to go and fix it manually. 
if I think about the, the tech stack of a freight forwarder, it's really limited. It's usually they have a transportation management system, which they use uh, primarily for internal processes and communication with the customer. Um, so with the shipper, for example, they use it for quotation vis-a-vis the shipper, um, for invoicing, uh, etc. But all the processes behind it um, on the operational side, it's Google Sheets, it's Excel, it's email, nothing really automated. And is this one of the areas of the maritime industry where we're, we're still encountering the dreaded fax machine as well? Absolutely. Uh, faxes, uh, telexes, so all the vintage technology is still, still in play, some part, yes. Before we, we sort of move more in depth into the technology offerings from Container Exchange, a recent press release of yours, and I must commend your team for putting out some really interesting information and analysis. It was quite specific about SOCs versus COCs. Could you just briefly explain the difference between those and the sort of the nuances of using SOCs versus COCs? Absolutely. And first of all, thanks, thanks for the compliment. I'll make sure to pass it on to the team. SOCs, well, what that stands for is shipper-owned containers. And that contrasts with COCs, that's carrier-owned containers. And what this really means is that if I book a shipment, for example, directly with Merskline or CMA CGM or a Costco, typically what I book is the entire ocean freight, so the container plus the slot on the vessel. Sometimes also with some intermodal services, pre-carriage, post-carriage, on-carriage, etc. And the contrast with that is SOCs where I bring my own container. It's a shipper-owned container or sometimes also a freight forwarder-owned container. And I only book the slot on the vessel of the carrier. For me as a shipper or freight forwarder, this can bring many, many advantages. For example, I gain flexibility because I can pair the container with multiple shipping lines with multiple slots rates, and I'm not so bound to the carrier that actually has equipment available uh, for shipment. Um, I'm also a little bit more flexible, um, both in the port of loading as well as in the port of destination, when it comes to uh, the actual movement of the container. Um, when do I pick it up? When do I return it, etc.? Because usually if I use a COC container, I'm very much bound to the instructions of the carrier. And if I don't follow those instructions and, for example, return the containers two or three days too late, I incur very high penalty charges, uh, called detention charges, for example. And if I bring my own container, I don't have that. It's either my own or I lease it for $1 to $2 a day. So the damage of returning a container late is, is much less. That was also very interesting uh, in parts during the, uh, during the COVID uh, pandemic, so past three years, essentially. On many instances, I can also earn money with using a shipper-owned container because either the slot rates are lower than the entire all-in rate from the carrier because the carrier doesn't have to provide their containers or I, I do a favor to the box owner in some, some cases and I lease the container for one-trip move and I get paid by the box owner. Also a variety of, of advantages there for using an SOC. Yeah, I'm sure there were some very interesting calculations to be made during the course of the pandemic when there was such a, a shortage of equipment and spaces on ships as well. Absolutely. It's also what we, what we learned a lot from talking to our customers, that they, they got very, very interested in more and more data and insights about container prices, supply demand imbalances, etc. during the pandemic, which is also a reason why we decided to push that data into our insights product and make it available to our customers. Yeah, I mean, I guess with freight rates as they were, the, the stakes were that much higher, right? Correct. So within this sort of, you know, fax machine and, and WhatsApp environment, what's the scope for improvement using current technology and what benefits could that bring to the supply chains and logistics companies and freight forwarders? I want to say the, the scope and the, the, the potential is, is unlimited, but, uh, but it's certainly 
huge because we run a survey just recently with the Copenhagen Business School and with freight forwarders and NBOCCs talking about their processes and how they how they operate their business. And about 80% of them said they still use emails and phone calls and WeChats um, just for the simple act of obtaining a quotation from the carrier or receiving an update on a sailing schedule. So even in this most basic process, just receiving a quotation or receiving an update, digital technologies can already provide time savings and streamlined processes. And if you multiply that through the entire, let's say, 200 to 250 process steps across the entire logistics value chain that a container typically passes through from port of loading to part of destination, it just multiplies up to a significant time saver that just a better communication technology or a an integration between systems um, that facilitate uh, sailing schedule sailing schedule updates or rate updates um, could bring to a to a freight forwarder. Sure, and then I guess more more specifically, where does container exchange fit into all of this, and what sort of products and services does it offer? So I mentioned earlier that we are um, sort of our vision is to simplify the logistics of global trade, and. We do that by providing an infrastructure for container owners and users to collaborate more efficiently. And we started out just with a very simple marketplace where our customers could find available containers either for a lease or for a uh, for purchase. And then we saw that this is just a sort of the, the beginning or the tip of the iceberg of a huge process map that's super manual and super inefficient. So we started building an operating systems and a payment layer underneath those marketplaces. And this is what our customers are using right now and where we're heavily investing in. And the the current objective is to make communication easier, to say, hey, there are standards on um, what to negotiate on. There are standards on how a container trading or leasing deal is facilitated, what rates are to be negotiated. There are value-added services that lie on top of that infrastructure that allow our customers to manage their damage claims, container damage claims, faster and simpler. And this standardization of communication and the standardization of the infrastructure that our customers are using almost mirrors the invention of the container itself. Because if you think about it, you know, the container was invented, let's say, 60 years ago. And it absolutely revolutionized global trade. It enabled globalization. It lifted billions of people out of poverty. And the reason why it was so successful was because it was so simple and it was the same everywhere. So it was simple and standardized. And interestingly, all the processes around the container, we talked about processes a lot uh, today already, they're still manual, error-prone and non-standardized. And what we're, what we're trying to achieve here is making all the processes all around the container, the handling processes, etc., as simple and as standardized as the container itself. Yeah, I think when people outside of the maritime industry learn about its inner workings, they're often surprised at the inefficiencies that are there and the technologies that aren't being used. <laughs> that comes up quite a lot in my conversations. Absolutely. I think just a simple analogy, I think, is, is super interesting, right? If you want to book a flight from, I don't know, London to, to, to New York, right? Um, you go onto a host of different booking websites and price comparison websites, and you essentially have global supply, including availability and price information at your fingertips. And you also get real-time update on changes. But if you want to try the same thing with a container, 
you're back into you know you're back into the Iron Ages um, or the Stone Age. You have to call the carriers. You have to find out uh, who's serving this route. You have to uh, manage all of these processes manually, and it's just super hard to understand and comprehend for anybody outside of this industry. Yeah, so there's obviously a lot on the on the table there. Could you perhaps share some success stories that container exchanges enable that you're particularly proud of? Sure. So um, one of one of our success stories that we also share on our website. So I, I do have the the approval of the the, the client to talk about it. Is uh, is Orange Container Line? It's a smaller upstart NVOCC um, that essentially from day one started to work with Exchange to simplify and automate as many of these operational backend processes as possible. And Jack, the owner, we talked to him and he said that not only does he get better prices um, on exchange for leasing of containers and then booking slots, but also operational processes are simpler and he, he doesn't have to worry about every single step and error handling every st- single step himself because many of these processes are yeah, in effect standardized, if not automated. And so he's been able to to significantly grow his business um, with Exchange. And of course, that's always something great for us and probably the best the best compliment that you can get if somebody starts using your, your platform, your technology, and you know we enable him to, to grow um, his business, uh, grow his revenue, grow his profitability. Sure. And then where does Container Exchange take its revenue from in this process? Is it sort of a subscription model to access the platform? Is it you know skimming off the top of every transaction? How do you generate the cash? We don't have a transaction fee, which we, we started with originally, but we got rid of very quickly because we don't want to tax or disincentivize the individual transaction. And we also want to make sure that we are 100% neutral. We never take a position in a container. We don't tra- take some transaction fees. We're completely neutral and, let's say, player agnostic. Where we do earn money is twofold. Um, it's a subscription fee, like you, like you mentioned, where we uh, charge for access to the market places and then hence relatedly also to the operating system. And secondly, we charge for value-added services that we provide or that we also provide through third-party providers. Uh, For example, um, our customers can not only book a container or lease a container on exchange, but they can also insure a container against damages. There, of course, we work with an external insurance company and we have a small margin on top of that. Sure. And then just finally, what are the challenges faced in sort of extending the reach of a platform like Container Exchange. Are you facing any regulatory hurdles? Are companies confident in things like sharing the data that's necessary to make an operation like that run? When we first started out, uh, the, the, the biggest concern actually was also, uh, will companies be comfortable sharing this data, um, ideally in real time and then up to date? Or will they treat data as you know the new gold or the new oil and, and lock it away in their basements? And interestingly, I was talking about you know, exchange being being neutral and absolutely player agnostic, this has really helped us to gain trust in the marketplace. And companies are now getting more and more willing and, and free in sharing their data with us. And we can then use it on the marketplace or so the operating system. So that's that's becoming less and less of a concern, of course, also because we stick to that neutrality view very, very strictly. Otherwise, there are no, there's no, no regulatory hurdle. But of course, I think the general apprehension against change and adopting technologies, new technologies, sometimes unproven technologies within the industry, that's probably the biggest hurdle for us. And it's also a reason why we see the highest growth and the highest adoption rates in customers that are small to mid-sized. So I don't know, anything between five and 200 employees is really our 
or commercial sweet spot as well, because um, there typically the owner or the, the the main shareholder still has significant operational interest in the business and new technologies, and is just willing to to test and try new things. Big corporates, enterprises, things just take a little bit longer, I guess, to to change uh, mindsets as well. Sure, but I do think we're seeing a sort of more of a willing to adopt digital technologies from the the larger lines. They certainly put out a lot of press releases about it, anyway. <laughs> that, that, that's true. That's true. And just recently, sort of the the announcement of a you know a commitment to an electronic bill of lading by by twenty thirty, I think, is, is definitely a step step into the right direction. But now we just also have to have to execute it and not just just announce and talk about it. Sure. Well, Christian, thanks very much for your time and for appearing on the Sea Trade Maritime podcast. Thanks a lot for having me, Gary. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Christian, for joining us on the Sea Trade Maritime podcast. Keep an eye on Sea Trade Maritime news for updates on the container market, as there's change in the air for sure. It won't be long before you see some container exchange data and analysis in our reporting, I'm sure. Until next time, farewell. Farewell.